Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Backport Stories with Chuck Stead. This is episode number two in season two. And if you're enjoying these stories, remember, we want you to follow or subscribe, and please feel free to share them. Share these stories with family and friends. Now, immediately following our stories, we have the joy and the pleasure of speaking with Chuck, myself, and Chuck's sisters, Muppin and Joan Stead, who are with us here today and will be with us next week as well. So uh, maybe we'll find some of the nasty little inside stories that no one ever told. We'll see. Oh, uh, we, we have no problem talking about that stuff. Stories about Chuck? What about if there are stories about you? That's no, it. no, no. We don't talk about that. All right. Well, without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, episode two, here's Chuck's dead. Before we get started, um, Muffin, you, you got I'm going to forget if I don't ask you this. Tell the story about Walt at the fire hall when the firemen were asking him, what was Muffin's real name? That was actually a census taker. Talk about your name for a second. It's hysterical. The census taker came to the house and asked who lived there, and Walt was at the door, and he gave the names and the ages and so forth, and then they said, well, what's the one named Muffin? What's what's her real name? And he said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. That's great. Oh, did man. he remember it, my name is his name, or did he just call me Chucky? I don't know. Actually, I don't remember that part. I'll yeah. bet he. I'll bet he gave your name properly. You think Walter Garris okay. instead I Junior? Yeah, I'll bet yeah. he did. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. that was that was important. <laughs> you weren't important. <laughs> he was the boy. That was important. Yeah. Oh my yeah. gosh. <laughs> that's another story that's that's good. I don't know if it'll fit into this this podcast, but when Walt was failing, I was there. All the time. It was hellish. And Joan, Chucky comes and drives him to the hospital because he's bleeding. And I go too. And he's in the hospital. And Walt's in bed. And he says, where's Chuck? And I said, he went to get gas. He said, now we'll never get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) It was such an example of... We need a man. Yeah. You know, we need a male yeah. to engineer this. Meanwhile, Joan and I were doing incredible work. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. All right. And we both drive. Yes. <laughs> Neither. Do you remember that? We re- stayed overnight. I remember we stayed overnight. It was horrible. And I remember the, 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 the strangest thing was you, there were just two beds in a room. So you t- I, I said, you take that bed and I'll put some chairs together. They were the most uncomfortable chairs, and they were uneven. So I'm I'm fiddling around. I'm, I'm between you and him. You're two beds. And I'm fiddling around forever, and I'm making pillows. And it took me forever to finally get the whole thing into shape. And then I finally lie down, and I look up, and he's looking at me, you know? And I look at you, and you're, you're nodding out. You're like, you're fading. And, and he's looking at me. And I said, what? And he said, why are you doing that? And I said, I'm going to sleep. In chairs? I mean, he's been watching me the whole yeah. time. And I said, yeah, there's muffins in that bed. And he looked across to you, and he went, good Lord. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a rough night. It was a, interesting. And then we went home the next day, and then he, yeah. he improved. Yeah. 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 yeah, they gave him yeah. a lot of blood. And do you remember that doctor? He had a terrible doctor. A doctor who came in, who I really think is an ass. He, he, he comes in. He comes in, and, and he's told... Muffin and I, each of us, it's his time. It's his time. He lost a huge amount of blood. Yeah. And you looked right at him and you said, 
He decides that. You don't yeah. decide that. Good for you. And so then he comes in and he's holding Walt's feet. And Walt's looking at him and he says, Walter, it's okay. It's perfectly okay to die. It's Ooh. okay to... And as he's saying this, and, and you and I are like shocked that he's saying it. And this old man goes by in the hallway with a walker and he's going slow and he pauses and he looks in and he hears a doctor saying this and the old man looked horrified and I thought, he's going to kill two people tonight. Oh my God. <laughs> but Walt, Walt rallied. He was fine after that. Well, not well, fine, but he got better. The part that I loved about that was that the, the, the doctor wasn't saying it's okay to die so much in my memory. He was saying, if, if, if your heart stops, he wanted him to say a do not resuscitate. That's what he was working toward. And Daddy's Uh sitting there listening, and finally he gets it. He says, well, I don't want to die. (laughs) (laughs) What, are you stupid or something? That's why I'm here, so you can fix me. Yeah, right. (laughs) He's 93 at that point. Oh, my God. That's great. Oh, man. All right, That's all right. Cool. Let's, let's it's get... so funny how you remember it differently. Yeah, we well, do. Yeah. This is why it's te- losing a sibling is such a loss, partly yeah. because they, they yeah. have different versions her, of her, your memory. Her version oh, yeah. would be way different yeah, than ours. Yeah. There's no, no question, no question. Well, she wasn't there. Yeah. Well, that's why it would be different, wouldn't <laughs> yes, it? Yes, But that doesn't stop her from having a version. All right, all right. Let's get, uh, okay. shall I just start? Now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Chuck Stead. This one is called Mountain Avenue Three-Seater. Long before plumbing came to the village of Hilburn, toilets were little sheds built over holes in the ground. This made going to the bathroom a cold affair in the wintertime. The wind wrapped around these little outhouses, and folks called to nature. It was just about freezing out there. Some of these sheds were large enough to hold more than one seat. Neighbors were delicate about the mutual act. They avoided eye contact, and they divided the seats, first with panels and then with stalls, but indoor plumbing changed all that. As the community's need was taken care of indoors, the outhouses became a thing of the past. The Mountain Avenue three-seater was a wonderful eyesore. It stood as a reminder of freezing constipation or quick runs through a haze of late summer mosquitoes. The doors were nailed shut. Its rotting battens split with wide cracks revealed little to our curious imaginations. Although it was in the backyard of Flo and Hunter's property, it seemed to exist separately from anything else in the village. The mayor regularly appealed to Flo and Hunter to have the thing torn down. But Flo, she held out. She was not altogether sure it wouldn't come in handy some day. Anyhow, years of accumulated stuff had found its way into this derelict outhouse, and the three-seater had found its way into our Halloween tradition. My early Halloween experiences were usually with my sister Terry. She regularly went as a homeless hobo and I as a masked devil. We seldom got further than 2nd Street. But at age 6, I was told that I would be allowed to go as far as 4th Street, which would increase the treat take considerably. Furthermore, I was to go into the company of uh, the Cramshaw brothers. Tessie and my sisters, they worked on my costume for days I was to be a dinosaur, a Tyrannosaurus Rex. They built me a tail with, well, it was kind of lifeless and it dragged behind me, but it still was a tail and a jagged set of fins that went down my back. Wrapped in red cloth, my hands and legs were made to look reptilian-like, but they quit when they got to my head. Muffin declared (laughs) covering my head was just too big a job. (laughs) I looked into the mirror and saw what could have been called boy's head on dinosaur. I cried. 
No, no, I did not want this. I said no one would know what I was. They snapped a red-eyed mask on my face and told me that everyone would know that I was a dinosaur. So I took my trick-or-treat bag and I waddled out onto the front porch where Walt was checking over his flashlight. He looked at me and said, Good Lord, what the hell are you supposed to be? (sighs) I waddled down the porch steps and I met the Cramshaw brothers. In the middle of First Street they stood, Ricky's older stepsister had turned him into a bat. She had wrapped his body in black gauze. She had given him transparent wings. His face was covered in a thick layer of woman's makeup. He was a very feminine creature of the night. And Dougie, the little brother, he was a clown. He wore a pair of his stepbrother's large sneakers painted red and some oversized pajamas, a yellow mop wig, and his nose was smeared with lipstick. Ricky looked at me as I approached. He stared up from his heavy eye makeup and he shouted, Look out, here comes the devil. No, no, I'm a dinosaur. No, you look like a devil to me. Yeah, well, you look like a sissy bat to me. Walt shined the light at us and told us to get started. He reminded us that we were to go no further than 4th Street. Since the village only had six streets, this really wasn't much of a warning. But still, it was the law, and the village fathers were patrolling to keep an eye out for renegade teenagers who might be looking for trouble. The year before, they had soaped car windows, strewn toilet paper from overhanging branches, and smashed dozens of rotten eggs throughout the village. This year, the fathers were organized from the volunteer fire department. They were on patrol to curb such mischief. They manned every street corner, armed with a flashlight. So, the devil sore, sissy bat, and mop head clown marched up First Street with their trick-or-treat bags. Hey, how come you got such a long tail, devil sore? Dinosaur, dinosaur bat face. Don't look like one to me. Yeah, well, you're a sissy bat. What would you know about a dinosaur? We walked to Mrs. Mack's house. I rang the bell. She, a grand, heavy-set woman with a perpetual smile, opened the door and in her thick German accent said, Oh, look at the little goblins. Look at the devil with such a big tail. And see the little black fairy. Oh, and Dougie the clown. Everyone knew Dougie would be a clown. He had announced it for weeks. Squirrely little white-haired kid. He didn't wear any mask. He, he just had that red smear of lipstick across his nose. This night was his premiere of his alter ego, Jambola the Clown. It was an alter ego that proceeded to slip in and out of Halloween's to come. She dropped a treat into each of our bags, and we headed on to the next house. This was Mrs. Hoffman's place. She was a gentle old woman who pretty much kept to herself. But we kids had our opinions as to what really went on behind the lace curtains of her quiet little home. They say she's killed 15 souls in there. Who says? I don't know. They, you know, thems that do the saying. Dougie squeaked. What's a soul? Ricky shrugged. I don't know. It's something you got inside of you. But does she take the souls out before she kills them? You want to find out? Dougie shook his head slowly. I knocked on the door. After a moment, there came the soft sound of shoes along the porch floor. When she opened the door, old Lady Hoffman looked down upon us and said nothing. We held out our bags. She brought forth her right arm and dropped something heavy and awful into each bag. We backed away cautiously and turned up the street onto Mountain Avenue. Had she given us shrunken heads or dead toads or lumps of liver? No, just apples. Maybe poison apples. I sniffed my bag. No, I think they're just rotten ones. Up on Mountain Avenue, we had time to check our gear. 
rotten eggs, a cake of ivory soap, and some toilet paper. But Dougie had the best thing. He brought forth from his bag a can of shaving cream. Ah, I'll tell you what, I'll give you an egg for a squirt. Nope. Well, we'll both give you an egg. We will not both. Shh, yes, we will. He winked a greasy black eyelid at me. So I agreed. But Dougie just laughed at us. So we moved on, and there to our left stood the Mountain Avenue three-seater. This dark and lonely patch of night was filled with demons. The three-seater housed terror beyond our wildest dreams. They say something lives in there. Nothing lives in there. How do you know for sure? Slowly, we moved toward it. Moonlight broke through a gray overcast sky, and the old shack lit up. It was a pale, ghostly wash. We stopped. It got very cold. Well, are you going to see? Sure I am, sure. How about you? Are you going? Yup. Not me, little clown backed away. The sissy bat stepped forward. The dry leaves beneath his feet crunched like a thousand tiny bones. I followed, and my tail dragged through the leaves, offering a serious warning to anyone within a mile or so. A light beam struck the building. It was a flashlight and a patrolling father. Get away from there, you kids. So we came around to the top of 2nd Street and approached Flo and Hunter's house from the front. After she answered the door, Flo told me I was a wonderful devil, and she gave us each a Milky Way bar. Upon leaving, we agreed that such a nice, round-faced, gentle old woman was just the sort who would keep prisoners locked in her outhouse. For the rest of 2nd Street, it was pretty much routine. Routine trick-or-treating. Our bags weighed heavy with the sugary loot. An opportunity for tricking hadn't yet happened. Somewhere along 3rd Street, Dougie discovered that he had a candy apple on a stick in his bag, and when he pulled it out, everything else was stuck to it. (laughs) We called it Everything on a Stick, and we spent some time pulling it all apart. The Mary Janes got the worst of it. Their wrappers peeled off and glued to the apple. So we started down 4th Street. The little clown clutched his can of shaving cream, anxiously awaiting for an opportunity. He shoved it back in his bag if we passed anyone. Then we came to this big old stucco house surrounded by giant fir trees. None of us knew who lived there, although it was rumored that this was the home of a miserly old man who hated children. We walked through the trees and up to his front porch. From the overhead light, we could see the floor was covered in dry maple leaves. The smell of the The leaf dust clung to us as we crunched over them. I knocked on the door. A few seconds later, the kindly face of a sweet old man looked out. Hello, boys, he said, with as nice a voice as you'd ever heard. He stretched out his hand and revealed six quarters across his palm. Ricky the Bat reached for the coins, and suddenly the man threw them down into the leaves. He slammed the door and turned out the porch light, and from inside we heard him laughing. So Dougie dove into the leaves, his hands stretched out, searching for the coins, and we heard a snap, and he cried in pain. His finger had found a mousetrap. Ricky helped him up, and he pulled the tiny trap off, and he threw it into the yard. He looked at us and said, You know what this means. We knew. Ricky and I, both armed with a rotten egg, stood on either side of the little clown, but just out of the way. Dougie banged on the door, and then took his can of shaving cream, and held it behind his back at the ready. The porch light went on. Again the door opened. Again the sweet old face looked out, and Dougie smiled and said, Trick or treat! 
Ricky shouted, no. And I threw my egg directly into the back of Ricky's head. He bounced his off the door, and Dougie pulled out the shaving cream, and he managed to spray his own face entirely with his shaving cream. He looked like a cream puff. The man slammed the door, turned out the light, and again we heard him laughing. Well, he had a good time. On the way back, we threw the rest of our eggs at somebody's garbage can. We don't know whose. We sprayed the shaving cream into an empty bird bath. We forgot about the soap and the toilet paper. And as we head down Mountain Avenue, we speculated about the sort of adventures that awaited for us out there on 5th Street or 6th Street in another year or so. Then Rick noticed my tail was coming apart. As it happened, we discovered that my sisters had stuffed the tail with old underwear. <laughs> I was so humiliated by this underwear shedding out of my anatomy. And, and I stood and I waited while the cramshaws did the last two houses. I wasn't even walking up to the door. I hugged the tail so no more would fall out, and we started down a dark patch of overhanging mountain along Mountain Avenue, and it was Dougie who noticed them first. The little clown, he grabbed us, and he pointed to the only street lamp down there before First Street, and there we saw a hulking dark figure lumber across the road and disappear into the night right behind the three-seater, and then another demon loped after him, and then another one, and still another, in all we counted eight dark shadows that went behind the three-seater. It was true. The little shed was a place of monsters. Quietly, bravely, we moved through the dark on Mountain Avenue until we were directly across the street from the old outhouse. We hunkered down, we held our breath, and we watched as the demon gang moved about. They had a long pole. They appeared to be shoving it beneath the three-seater. Up and down the road we, we, we looked, but there were no patrolling fathers anywhere to be seen. We were the only ones to witness these awful monsters. They worked for a while. They got the pole down deep under the shed, and then with a heave-ho, they all pushed down, and a terrible sucking sound came from below. Again they pushed, and again the sound came, and now the outhouse started to rise up onto one end. Suddenly, Flo's back kitchen light swung open the door, and she charged out, hollering like a sick hound. She was swinging a broom overhead, altogether very much like a Halloween witch. She ran across the backyard, and she cursed with words, well, words that we had never heard before, and still the demons tipped the shack until it was standing entirely up on one end, where it remained for a moment, and then an awful tearing sound came out into the night, and the demons stumbled back over each other as the bottom of the outhouse fell out and crashed to the earth. They hooted and howled and ran off into the night, just as one might expect from a pack of demons. Leaving Flo, staring at what was left, her outhouse, now a hollowed shell standing up in the night, with all the belongings that were inside of it spread across her backyard. I said goodnight to my friends, and I ran down to First Street to my folks' house, and up on the front porch, and I heard a lot of laughter inside. And when I found Walt and seven other men, they were all having a party in the dining room. Tessie was annoyed with them because they tracked a mess of dry leaves into the house. And then one of the men, a policeman, called them all to be quiet as he responded to his belt radio. It was a call about some kids tipping over an outhouse on Mountain Avenue. He said he'd look into it. He turned off the radio, and they all fell into hysterical laughter. The next morning, the rest of the outhouse fell and broke to pieces, and the whole thing was blamed on the teenagers. <laughs> that's great and that was a true story right? yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah i remember it the yeah. story yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> Underwear and the tail. Yeah. And that was you a- want to make my costume. Oh, I don't know. Oh, that's great. Ricky actually pulled out a strand, and it was an old bra. And he's holding it up, and he's staring at it in the night. And I know it's underwear, and he knows it's underwear, but Dougie had no idea what this thing was. And he went, oh, boy. Because <laughs> it's this amazing-looking thing. Yeah, I was, I was so aggravated. That's great. <laughs> Halloween nights, man. The most fun of all. Yeah. Out there with yeah. your friends, the unknown. You didn't know and there was, there was a sense of danger but it really wasn't dangerous. It was just this feeling, you know? Right, right. Spooky. Yeah. The teenagers. Watch, beware of the teenagers. <laughs> they were always blamed. I don't even yeah. know where they were. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, they, they probably had better things to do. <laughs> now, the guy who, who you know, put the, the, the mouse trap and the leaves and things like that, was this a guy who was known for these kinds of... Yeah, apparently. Because when, when we, uh, eventually when we got over the whole outhouse escapade, I reported that this guy had set traps in the leaves. And when they realized who, I don't remember his name, but when they realized who I was talking about, Walt and Tessie both said, yeah, yeah, you don't want to go to that house. Yeah. yeah. But he was mean. He had, a, he had a, a pumpkin and a light on, you know, which is the indication you can come. Bum. But he was setting you up. <laughs> he was getting even. <laughs> he was right across from the store, right? He was, no, he was across... Or from the post office. No, we only got no. as far as 4th Street, remember. That's over on 5th. I think he was in the house that... Didn't Dot's sister have a house there years later? I think so. He was across from what would have been Norman Dean's house. Uh-huh. His yeah. was the house just before you got to the church. And it's, yeah. it's still the stucco-looking house. You know what I love is when you're telling these stories, how you walk in and out of these characters. Yeah. Yeah, how, me too. How in an instant your voice just changes to Ricky Cramshaw. Or- and Dougie. And Dougie, right. You could, you could work for The Simpsons. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. I, can, I can actually make money doing this. Oh, man. Those guys make a lot of money, too. There was an interview with Hank Azaria, who does, I think, three of their voices. Yeah, yeah. Some ridiculous amount of money they make per episode, per year, so that they have no rights to any of the character, right. the oh, merchandise that they I make. And, and they also so can't they just use their really voice. Well. For anything else, unless it's a different character that doesn't sound like right, that, right? Which is a big haul, you know. Yeah. Those are the voices you got. <laughs> you got to come up with something else. So now I, I have to go back to it though. What is Muffin's real name, or is or shall this remain? Oh, yeah. you haven't told this yet. No, you, you, you tell Kathleen. Kathleen, just like Chucky's wife. Yes. Okay. Yes. Sure. That's Muffin's, right. Muffin said she stole her name because now she's Kathleen instead. Yeah. Kathleen Teresa, actually. Oh, okay. So I guess Tess, Tessie didn't know if she would have another girl. That, and uh, then Teresa was... Teresa... What was Terry's middle name? Mary. Teresa, Teresa Mary. Mary. And you're Joan Marie. Yeah, Joan Marie Eileen. Terry was Teresa Mary Mary because <laughs> when it was confirmation time and the, the priest, the Monsignor, says, what name will you are you picking... She got so nervous because she'd been practicing. <laughs> she got so nervous, she threw out her second name, so her middle name, so she was Teresa Mary Mary. Oh, that's great. That's great. So it sounds like Tessie wanted to have all of her sisters tribute yeah. by child for all of her sisters, so she got them all. Well, we everybody did that, did that yeah, in, sure. in those days. They, everybody's named after somebody, yeah, like Morris. Yeah, we our own names. Right. My brother Maurice was named after uh, Maurice, and... 
Eileen. Yeah. I have a sister, Eileen. I have a sister. Well, Maggie's Margaret, really. It's after my mother. Aggie. Uh, Aggie. Yep. Mary Aggie. And Mary uh, Peter. That was my father's side, I think. Tom, of course, is my mom's big brother. Man, oh, man. Terry didn't have, there was no Teresa's, were there? Well, Tessie was Teresa. Oh, that's right, without the H. Yeah. Yeah. And there's another Teresa. I, there's a cousin Teresa, isn't there? Somebody was named Teresa. Well, there's Mary Schlafer. There's there's Kathy Schlafer. Oh, right. So maybe yeah. it's next generation. And there's three Joes, right? Joe Schlafer, Joe Serino, Joe Elling. This is a popular name. Yes. So the the thing I wanted to ask, actually, two things occurred to me. You you were commenting about the voices. I'm just, I'm listening to to the way these people talked, and I'm mimicking them. Yeah, it's the yeah. If, for being an actor in this, it's just paying attention to what I remember how their voice worked, and then trying to grab onto that. So I really hear their voice. It's in, not in my just head. their voice, though. E- each one of them has a rhythm. Cadence, mm-hmm. yeah, a vibe, mm-hmm. and when you go into their voice, you become those people, and then you switch back and forth <laughs> so quickly, and yet you don't identify everyone who's saying something, right? But I know exactly who they are, right? That's yeah. that's the you fun know? part for me when when I don't when I can start dropping who said what, and I can just go back and forth because then you get the yeah. rhythm back. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One time at camp years and years ago, I was doing Uncle Mal. In a, in a story I was telling, and he said he got mad, and I was doing him getting mad at a guy, yeah. and he called him a fucking ass. And, of course, I'm in camp, so I'm not going to say that. But I got so into Mel's rhythm, I called him a fucking ass. Oh. I said it, you know, and I didn't even realize I said it until it was a little bit later, and I saw the counselors. Yeah, the counselors in the, the back kids, room. The kids, it, it, they got it, you know. But the counselors, yeah. like, you can say that in camp now, you know. <laughs> yeah. I, and I love the back and forth when you're telling stories that Mel and your father are in. Oh, those are precious. Because they yeah. really, yeah. it's a real yin and yang kind of a yeah. thing. Yeah, they're fun. You know, Mel's always cantankerous, contemptuous, you know, you know, like, and your father is just this, I don't know. I'll, I'll tell. Uh, uh, there's something I haven't uh, shared with you guys that I should share with you about Mal and, and Walt that I thought was so perfect, but I don't know how to write it into a story. And it was um, a, a friend of theirs in, in their circle of contractors. There were two buddies, and they worked together, and it was discovered they were gay. And Mal was going on and on because he was offended that – I think he was more offended that they had a private life that he didn't know about than the fact that they were gay. But he was offended by it, and he was making too much of it. And we were in the paint shop, and this is some years later. I'm, I'm a young man. And, and the men are they're laughing with him because he's making jokes, but you can tell they're getting tired of this. You know, Mel's going too much homophobia here. You know, yeah. They're willing yeah. to deal with it, but he's starting to lose interest. And Walt, in, in when Mal would do stuff, he wouldn't say anything. And Mal, and Mal says to Walt, he says, come on, Walt, you you, you, you got to have an opinion about this. You know, you can't just smoke that goddamn pipe and not have an opinion. You got to have an opinion, you know, about two boys sleeping together. You know, and he said two boys. They were two men, but he said two boys. And he's sort of making it nasty, you know. 
And, and Walt just takes a pipe out of his mouth and he said, well, how would you know? He said, well, what do you mean, how would I know? Did you ever sleep with a fellow? What the hell? Why are you saying that to me? Well, you're the one who seems upset. He completely turned it around. Yeah. But I don't think yeah. he meant it maliciously. I think the first part was, well, how would you know? Yeah. Meaning like, well, how would anybody? You know, anybody right. in this room doesn't seem to know. How would they know? And and it put Mal on his heels. Yeah. And the guys who were listening, oh, they all jumped into Walt's camp immediately. And they ribbed Mal mercilessly. And uh, so it ended. It ended. Mal couldn't, you know, he couldn't proceed with that anymore. <laughs> but, but I remember it happened so quickly. You know, I didn't. It's the thing about Daddy is you didn't expect it, and that's why when it landed, it was it was choice. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes you didn't know it landed until after it landed. <laughs> well, my, my dad loved talking with Walt, and I think part of it is because my father loved to talk, and Walt was just he would listen. He would really listen. And then every once in a while, he'd say something that was, you know, absolutely kind of brilliant in its own way. And I remember my father talking about your dad, you know, and, and just saying, you know, I, I like that Walstead. I like him. I like when whenever we go over there, he's, he's interested in what you have to say. And uh, he may not say much, but when he does say something, damn it, it means it. It means something, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but really but your dad was so enthusiastic, and he's so picked up on people's little idiosyncrasies. Syncrasies. Yeah. He he grabbed them and then embellished them and and adored them. Yeah. And and even encouraged you to to pursue them yourself. You know, he was he was that was a marvelous thing yeah. that he had. Rich Fritzky said at his uh, he gave a little eulogy at my dad's funeral, and he said. Uh, there was never a line spoken by Joe Serino that did not end with an explanation point. <laughs> <laughs> it was true. He would always, you know, I'd have one of my friends over and he'd walk up, what a fine young man. And the way you play that guitar, you know, like that. And it would take them back at first, but then it got to a point where my friend Mike would come over and he said, he said one night, I'm not here to visit with you. I just need a dad fix right now. Just, that's it. You know. When, when I did that, when I did that thing where I was Mark Twain, I did that Mark Twain stint, yep. and I, I portrayed a young Mark Twain, and Joe was there, and you know, and he was great, he was enthusiastic, and he came up afterwards, and he he did his own little routine with the audience because he's Joe, you know, but yep. it was it was great, and then later he saw Tessie, and he said, Tessie, Tessie, have you seen Chuck's Mark Twain? And she had no idea I was even doing this, you know, and she said. What are you talking about, Joe? I, I don't know. I, I I don't know what he do. he he does. The best Mark Twain. Have you seen it? Well, no. I don't know what you're talking about. You have to see it, Tessie. He doesn't do Mark Twain. He, he is, is Mark, Mark Twain. Twain. <laughs> and then he repeated that during the visit, at least two dozen times. <laughs> and finally, Tessie said to him, "Okay, Joe. Okay." I got a son who's actually Mark Twain. I guess he came back from the dead or something. I get it. Right. Yeah. yeah, he was he was over the top a lot. He was fun. Oh, but it was great. It was great. Yeah. It was, sure. it was the best. And now for a word from our favorite sponsor, the Montgomery Book Exchange. It's your hometown used bookstore located at 61A Clinton Street in the heart of the Montgomery, New York Business District. Folks, you're going to love the book exchange. This is a place where great books survive the test of time, where you can enjoy a book read by readers a generation before you. You might even find notes in the margins giving you an insight as to what mattered most to that previous reader. 
That's how the Montgomery Book Exchange turns a great book into a shared experience. And the Montgomery Book Exchange is known throughout the Hudson Valley and beyond for innovations like their 20 for $20 book stacks or their intimate author readings and signing experiences. How about their member-driven book club selections and book club talks, their monthly Zoom and in-person book auctions, and Handmade Montgomery. This is a wonderful event featuring local artisans and hundreds of beautiful handmade crafts and keepsakes. And how about getting store credits in the form of book bucks? Bring your well-loved or gently used books in for a store credit. Now, it's closed on Mondays, but it's open Tuesdays through Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. and on Sunday from 12 noon to 4 p.m. Want more information? Just go to MontgomeryBookExchange.com or call them at 845-764-1787. That's 845-764-1787. Now, there's one more thing. They even have a special location at 8 Factory Street dedicated to your young readers. They call it the Children's Chapter, and it features a reading garden where your children can discover the joy of reading in a wonderful and stimulating learning environment. Now, my kids are all 30-something now, but I have four beautiful grandchildren, Jimmy, Sienna, Stella, and JJ, and I'm bringing all four of them down to the Children's Chapter. Also at this location, you'll find Miss Claire's Music Cupboard, featuring the award-winning research-based Kinder Music Program. The Children's Chapter is open Wednesdays through Saturdays. Check the website for specific class times that match your child's age. You can contact the Children's Chapter at 845-522-9652, MontgomeryBookExchange.com, your hometown used bookstore. You're going to love this place. been listening to Backport Stories with Chuck Stead. The song that you hear at the beginning and the end of the episode is Flyer's Rag, composed by Mr. Scott Lewis. Our producer is Joe Serino, and our cover photography is done by Karen Serino. We'll be back with another episode each Friday morning, so please subscribe, click the like button, share with family and friends, and join us each week for another Backport Story.